Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and we've got a little bit of a different podcast today. Usually, if I'm interviewing someone on a podcast, it's someone that has several hundred hours under their belt and can share about their story and life lessons and and uh, good advice for people that want to get to where they're at. But today, it's a little bit of a different angle. I thought I would bring on our show someone who is just starting their AP career as far as playing in the casinos. And this all started from a forum post from our guest today, Small Town Guy. He wrote this post called Beyond a Winning Game. And in it, he shared a bunch of the things he learned on his first card counting and advantage play trip. And I thought that it would be good, valuable lessons, both for those that are training right now that are, you know, maybe a few months behind where Small Town Guy is at. And also for those earlier on their AP careers, there's some really good stuff that I think you could learn from. And even if you've been in AP for a while, you might enjoy reminiscing to the lessons learned in those first 100 hours in the trenches when you got started. And, you know, at least you get to hear some people talk shop for a bit. So with no further ado, enjoy my interview with Small Town Guy. Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and I am here with Small Town Guy. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing, Colin? I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, so, you know, I, I'll give a little separate intro to this in the podcast, but, um, you know, really it was a post you put on our forum maybe a week or two ago about your first trip that I thought would be a really interesting conversation. So thanks for being willing to share a bit about your journey with us. And I guess to start it off, maybe you could just tell us how you got interested in card counting and advantage play. Yeah, it's a, it was a pretty gradual process and, you know, I'm in my, in my forties, so I'm not a a young 20 something. Um, So my story might be a little bit different, but I think it, it all started. I had a, we had some family friends that were here and he wanted to go play craps. So we played craps and I lost a hundred dollars and I really did not like that feeling of losing that. I spend very, very little time in the casino. Um, But this same friend, he introduced me to BGA on on the way home. He's telling me about it and ended up watching some YouTube videos and just talked about the concepts of card counting, watched Holy Rollers and just really from that night, it was, it was during the summer and I had a little more time on my hands and it just, I feel like it just kind of sucked me in and I just started reading about it and, and, and loved every bit of it. So that was the initial piece that got me pulled in, but it's really since then, it's been a pretty slow and patient process for, for a variety of reasons, but yeah, that's, that's how I got started. And, and when you decided you want to pursue this, what, what were your goals or what kind of uh, did you have in mind and how this was going to fit into your life? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I, I am married and I'm a father of three teenage daughters. So that is probably, um, you know, that has to be foundational to what it looks like in my life. So it, it was never really something where I was, you know, thinking about, going full time or anything like that. It was just uh, it's kind of a hobby, uh, uh, some, it was some fun, some adventure, you know, have some unique experiences and unique stories. And um, the more I got into it, the more I learned about it, just, you know, the money, there's obviously a part of that, that, um, you know, can't, it's certainly, certainly there. It's not the driver for me, but um, yeah, I've learned a lot about, you know, I, 
I'm going to get kicked out of a place for betting two by 30. I'd sure like to get kicked out for betting a little bit more than that. So, but a lot of that is just, it's just something kind of a side thing for me and have my full-time job and the other parts of my life that it needs to fit within. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been good and it's, it's, has fit that so far, which has been nice. Good. So, so can you share with us what your training, uh, has looked like so far or kind of, you know, what your training looked like gearing up for what was your first trip? Yeah. And that, uh, you know, that's, it's a fairly long answer to thinking about that where I, I was, a have been a member of BGA for, uh, it's like probably a year and three months or so, but you know, six months prior to that, I was just kind of messing around a little bit on the side and reading some books and, and doing some of those things. So it's, it's really been a pretty gradual process. Um, some of that was driven by money, um, where I just knew if I was going to do this, I needed a bigger bankroll. Um, my <laughs> situation's a little different than the, what, the agreement that my wife and I have is it's a non-replenishable bankroll. So mm-hmm. kind of when it's gone, it's gone. And yeah. for that reason, I just knew I, I, before I get out there, I gotta, it's gotta be good. And so a lot of drills, you know, I, there was some gradual time that I did spend in the casino, just going into back count to gauge how fast I was, um, eventually sitting down playing some basic strategy and doing a little bit of like, oh, am I doing the true count? Some of that. I, I was really fortunate along the way, uh, had a an, an encounter with overtime and he was generous with his time and he did a little bit of a test out and an evaluation for me. And that really helped my confidence quite a bit and gave me a, a good idea where I was at. Um, but so all of that just was really spending a lot of time on the skills of the game and laid a really good foundation. And, you know, during that time too, when I'm saving up money, just became familiar with some other plays that are out there and have been dabbling in that a little bit. And that has been, you know, helped me build my bankroll some, but it's also helped me learn a lot about what it means to have an advantage and what it means to risk something and just the ups and downs. Yeah, so that's been, it's really been a, a pretty long process to get from training to actual playing with a spread. Mm-hmm. And so you reached a point where you felt like you were ready for um, live, because, you know, your first trip or your first uh, live play. Did you do any kind of practice sessions before this trip? Yeah, yep, yep, for sure. Um, I had probably played about, Oh, 40 to 50 hours of just either basic strategy or really a very small spread, just trying to mm-hmm. be mindful of the mechanics and working on my act a little bit and some of the conversation and just trying to gauge that and have met a few other BGA members. Um, so we've uh, done had to do a little driving for that, but was able to get a little bit of feedback on you know things that were um, positives and maybe things to work on with the game, but that really the big driver with waiting, cause you know, I probably could have played earlier, but some of that was really the money. I didn't want to play with a high risk. Um, mm-hmm. wanted to have a little bit more 
built up there. And um, so that, you know, the post that I wrote about, it was really, I would call that the first time I really had much of a spread. So, Mm -hmm. so, so you were ready to uh, go from practicing in a casino to trying to generate some EV at the tables. Yep. And what, what were those emotions like going into that first trip, you know? Yeah, there was, uh, well, I was a little bit surprised at the level of the emotions and um, there's obviously some excitement. You know, this was a long time in the making and I've been very patient and I'd, I'd visited a lot of different casinos just to, just to get out there and see the different games that are out there. And um, so I was really excited to, to be able to actually play with a spread. You know, obviously there was a lot of nerves that were there too. The, I'm a little bit of a people pleaser. So the idea of heat and getting some attention with, with a bigger jump and spread, I was, you know, unsure what that was going to feel like. And I had been very patient with my bankroll and just slowly built that up totally separate from, you know, our family expenses. So this, it just took a little bit of time to, to get that to grow. And, uh, I didn't want to lose it. So I was nervous that, you know, if you start off in a downswing and, and the other, I guess the other piece with the emotions of the first trip, there was a, another BGA member, Terry Mann and I, we played that weekend on a shared bankroll. So it was the first time him and I had ever done something like that. And mm-hmm. I just really didn't want to be the guy that was going to pull the team down. So all those things, you know, working together, really, there was more emotions there than what I was expecting there to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I definitely was the guy pulling the team down <laughs> when uh, when I got into it, and it, it, it felt miserable. But you know, um, that that's a hard hard thing to handle. It's miserable losing. It feels really miserable losing someone else's money until you understand that it will all all even out. Right, and that's where you know I, this had been you know, a year and a half in the making and I had read enough books and I'd read enough of the, you know, the forum information that's out there and, and had met some people in person and you, you have all these conversations and intellectually all that makes sense. Like, oh yeah, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And oh yeah, it's, it's no fun to have someone looking over your shoulder or yeah, you, you don't want to be the guy to lose when everyone else is winning. But when you actually experience that and feel that, it just it was certainly different than what the the intellectual part was. Yeah, yeah. So, did uh, when you sat down at the table for the first time, any um, any like any rookie mistakes? Did you find yourself do anything where you're like, "Oh no, how, how did I do that?" Or or did you feel like you'd put in enough time that that wasn't an issue? Yeah, I think I it, I didn't feel like it was an issue. Not not on this most recent trip that I took, you know, there was some training things along the way where you realize, man, the game is faster than where I'm at, or, um, I'm, you know, you lose the count or you maybe forget a deviation or those things. But yeah, on this first trip, I feel like there had been enough time and practice invested into that where that felt really, really good. So the mechanics were good. And, um, it wasn't my first time in the casino, you know, because of that progression, um, so all that felt good and felt pretty easy. It was just the, you know, the everything that comes with putting a big spread out there. That's what was new, and that's what yeah. was and that's where all those 
you know, all those nerves and anxiety, some of that was coming from. Yeah. So, so you said by this point, it wasn't, um, harder than you were expecting. You, you felt well acclimated to that part of the game. Yep. Yep. And that's where it just went back to the training and, you know, there's been so much that it's been talked about of the edge that a person has in card counting is, is not a huge edge. It's, it's a, for sure it is an edge and the, the math is behind it, but there's not room for making mistakes. And so that was all that time training when going into the casinos, maybe doing a flat betting or all of that. I felt like I had gauged and checked that all along the way. And, you know, just as a, for my occupation, I'm a school teacher. And so the idea of just having a good feel on where I was at and just being realistic where, you know, I, I felt like I was honest with myself where I knew what I'm good at and knew what I needed to work on. And, you know, spent a lot of time doing that. So it, it really did feel pretty good with all the mechanics and just the, the skills that go into making this work. But, but then you mentioned uh, in, in the forum post about losing some big bets. Did, did you start losing right away? Um, uh, trying to think my very first session, I had, had a, a couple that I think I ended up a, I was a little bit ahead um, a lot of the sessions that weekend were a little bit shorter. I didn't have any marathon, like six to eight hour sessions. So, um, yeah, but there was a couple in there where I, you just have to dig into your pocket multiple times. And man, I did not, I don't like that feeling of yeah. you know, repeated buy-ins where you kind of just think, man, can I just start off, you know, on a, on a win here and get ahead and then maybe lose a little of that and win some more back. But yeah, those, the, the repeated buy-ins that was, that was, you know, one of the harder parts with it. So, so how did, how did you handle that? Did you call the session short or did you just uh, take a deep breath and pull out more money or. Yep. I, I probably did a little bit of both um, where I did, you know, dig into the pocket and, just be buy-ins for some more and you, know, you get some of that back. And, you know, certainly had some sessions where, you know, the initial buy-in was more than enough and the cash out was real fun. And, um, but, and then there was others where there was one in particular, it was the last session and I was getting a little bit more what I perceived to be heat. Um, and I could just feel myself, some of that anxiety and some of that emotion coming in and knowing I'm going to have to dig in my pocket again. And, I just sensed that, that that was a time where I I for sure needed to step away at least for a little bit just to gather myself so there wasn't going to be mistakes made and um, you, you still do the things you need to do correctly, being able to manage that. So And then that ended up being kind of the end of the weekend anyway, but there was really just that one time where I felt like, all right, I need to walk away because... I was concerned if I was going to start making some mistakes. And uh, obviously you waited for the shuffle to, to walk away. You didn't. I, I did wait for the shuffle. Correct. Okay. Yeah. 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 It was a good count. And yeah. And that, that little sequence there was, there was about an hour where I felt like, man, I'm getting all the unusual plays. I'm, I'm doubling a soft 18 and the other player, he didn't really like what I was doing. And yeah. 
you had double downs and so you had all these things happening and I'm having to have multiple buy-ins and I'm still putting out big stacks. And so, yeah, it was a lot going on there. And yep. So, so you talked about, um, perceiving some heat. What, what made you, you know, yeah. What was happening? Yeah. The two things that were happening there differently. And I have, I was at this same place three times that weekend and two of the times, you know, it just felt like no one even knew I was there. And then the third time, um, it was too long because, and I was playing by myself for a little bit. And there was a deal. A lot of the dealers at this place have been around there for a while. And I don't know if she may have brought a little attention to it, but you know, he was standing close to the table, just checking it out. And then <laughs> before too long was on the phone and just kind of look up and you make eye contact and you hear that a lot on the podcast about they just can't not make eye contact with you if they're talking about you. And so, and that was, that was new for me to have that where when you play with such a small spread or, um, you know, just never really had that. So it was, it was for sure different than what I had experienced. Now, I don't know if it was truly heat or if it was just him doing his job, but uh, I did leave before the back off would have happened. But um, yeah, that's, that's what I was noticing on that particular session. And is this a, a region you want to go back to that that was why you decided to leave before the back off? It is, yeah. And and that was part of my reason I originally wrote the the post and I just needed to think about this and reflect on that. And that was a question that I did ask myself of was I did I leave that because I didn't want to, you know, I was trying to avoid the back off, or did I do it because, you know, I do want to maintain this place and it is it it's both. You know, I, I don't want to lose this place yet. There's it's a place where there are some good games pretty close to one another. So it's a good location from where I live and where I can take a, an easy trip to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would be, I wouldn't be fully honest if I said there wasn't a piece of me kind of backing down a little bit off, mm -hmm. um, you know, that potential back off, but I do, I do hope to hit those places again before that time comes. So, yeah, well, and, and when you go back, you can, uh, avoid that shift or at least avoid that that pit boss that you know was staring you down um or ho yep. hope that he's forgot forgotten about you by then Correct. Uh, so did you say this was a joint bankroll with with uh, someone else on this trip yeah it is there's been uh just a few bga guys that i that i have met and there's been a couple of us that have just connected and um done a little bit of practicing, communicating together. And we've had some conversations about what that might look like if we were to play on a shared bankroll, you know, being at a little bit smaller bankroll than what some other guys play there. There's some limits there and how big you want to spread or how much risk you want to play with. And um, we have a little a relationship and we, we like that there's some connection and some trust being built there. One of our conversations was, you know, if, before we were to ever actually share a bankroll on a more permanent basis or a, over a longer period of time just just go somewhere for a weekend and you know have a good time playing and yeah. just see how it goes and so that that's what happened that weekend it was just a there's two of us there uh 
and we just shared the weekend and shared the experiences and you know it was good it was definitely a positive thing so and did as far as joining a bankroll did did that mean you guys could bet more or did you guys just uh you know do that to kind of lower your risk i would probably a little bit of both for me i i tend to be you know pretty risk averse as far as where i want that percentage of you know the risk of ruin to be so if i were just playing with my own money i you know i wouldn't have spread quite as high so it did allow us to spread a little bit more um but it you know, and also just just to share that and, um, you know, keep that risk lower. And so it's a little little bit of both. So long term, I think we would both hope that and, you know, if we whatever that final arrangement would be, we could we could spread even more from where we were at. But that it was that's what we did for that weekend just to, to test that out. And I'm assuming that this was the most you've you've bet in a casino it was yep yeah yeah what, what was that like i mean did you have kind of a hard time just uh or were you able to disassociate the you know the the bets from the monetary value yeah i i a little bit of both um I, the, it, the in some ways the chips became a chip uh and it just was detached from the value but on the other hand it was when you lose it and you got to buy in for more, then you feel like, oh man, that was, uh, that's real money right there. And yeah, so it was, it was a little bit of both. So, and I have had some communications with people since then and uh, just to some other BGA members through, through the forum and they've had some good encouragement and just, you know, give it some time, you know, it'll be there kind of to what you're asking of, you know, eventually you just, you learn to trust the math in a different way. You know it's there, and I'm a math teacher, so I get the math. But it's uh, you know that emotions behind it, knowing the ups and downs. It it just feels different. So um, yeah, it's a you know, little little bit of both there. Hey guys, Colin here. I want to just take a minute and tell you about some of the things we have that are part of our Blackjack Apprenticeship membership. Now, most people join because of the video course, which includes everything from the basics to bankroll management and some of the soft skills like cover, handling heat, handling backoffs, and avoiding casino detection. We also have beyond that our pro betting software. BJ member DE14 said that he lives on this software and is able to use it even in a casino in the bathroom if he needs to change his bet spread to maximize his EV. We have Casino 411. BJ member MPS said that he got his membership for Casino 411, which is our database of casinos all around the country. But he said he kept his membership for my favorite piece of software, which is our forum, which is a supportive, encouraging community where you can ask questions, network, learn, share stories. That is just some of the stuff. We also have results tracking software, members only podcasts, an entire training suite. So check it out at blackjackapprenticeship.com. So you talked also in, in the post about uh, having conversations with others at the table and kind of the, you know, more the art of card counting rather than just the science of it. Um, how, did you feel, how did you feel like you're able to handle talking and doing everything else? Did you keep it to like talking during shuffles or just, I don't know, just, just maybe share a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly some of it is during shuffles and, and what I did notice too, and is it really depends on the dealer and the table. And obviously as a card counter, we'd, we'd all love just to sit at our own table 
with no conversation, crank it out as fast as we can. But there's every table, it almost has its little different personality depending on who's dealing and who those people are. And um, yeah, there's some tables where they played at and it was people wanted to talk. And so we would talk as we're playing. And I have, I've developed a little bit of a system to help me track that. And I'm, you know, I'm not stacking chips or doing anything noticeable like that, but that just helps me. And that was part of my training where I actually did go out and practice having conversations. And, and I, I've done some of that at home. I have kids at home. So I feel like I'm always training with distractions and yeah. Um, yeah. And just with some of the converse was very intentional about practicing with that both at home and in a casino. So, but there's some people they don't, they don't want to talk. They, and I, I really don't want to play with them and they might not like how you're playing and, but other people, you know, they're just there to have a good time. And, you know, I'm there to have a good time and we had a good time playing at the table. <laughs> and, um, and, and it was during those sessions, I felt like I just didn't get any attention. You just, you just blend in like everyone else. So time will tell on how effective that is, but I feel like, I don't want to make cover plays that are going to cost me money. I can work on an act that's free and that can buy time. That That's a really, really good thing. Yeah. It makes me think about just every, every advantage player has to kind of figure out what works for them. And, and uh, you know, um, the, the best act is one that's not too much of an act that, you know, if, if, yeah, if you're comfortable having conversation, then that's going to, have you look and play as naturally as possible and use that to your advantage. Whereas, you know, uh, someone else might just be a quieter person. And if they were trying to talk it up, they would stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, but it seems like you, you put the effort into being able to do it naturally, um, without it affecting your game at all. Right. Yeah. And I think you, you touched on something too there of just, it has to fit who that person is. And, I'm not a loud life of the party guy. So for me come in coming in and being that guy, that's that really is an act. And that that's not my personality. But like I am pretty good at just having conversation with people, just kind of, you know, being a nice guy and some of that. And there the one I referred to in the in the post was it, you know, it was like the there there's only three people at a table. So I was there and then this couple was there and I called them the Harley loving couple and you know, they're, they're drinking it up, just having a good time. And we were all having a good time, just having conversations. And when they, they got up to leave, they just said, thank me for having a great, you know, being a part of a, a, having a good time at the table. So I really took that as a compliment that, um, yeah, like I'm here counting, I'm spreading and we're just having a conversation and, and no one knows what I'm doing but we're having a good yeah. time doing it. and that does maybe fit a little bit more of, of who I am. So, yeah, I feel like when, when you can actually be enjoying yourself, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna remember those sessions a lot, a lot more, um, than the ones where it's just, okay, I'm, I'm just at work clocking in, getting in the hours, clocking right. out. If, if you can yeah. enjoy it, it'll go by faster. Yeah. And the thing I'd add on the conversation is that that happened a lot later. You know, I, they're certainly trained with some distractions, but it, it it took me a while to get there. You know, just being able to remember basic strategy and then be able to keep the count and 
then to be able to put all those things together accurately without losing the count and being able to put a bet down there fluidly and without fumbling over your chips. But And then to throw conversation on top of that, it, it really did take a long time to get to that point. It doesn't happen overnight for sure. No, and I honestly, with however many, you know, couple thousand hours under my belt, I feel like conversation is the hardest part for me and I keep it short, I, you know, short answers. Um, I'd rather the other people talking than me because that is, I think, the, the toughest, toughest thing to manage. Right. And then the other thing, I've, I've played with dealers before where they stop dealing and yes. that's obviously bad. You know, <laughs> we got to keep the game going. So yeah, I've had to cut some conversations short when you, when a dealer feels like the conversation's happening instead of dealing. So is it a little tougher, you know, talking and hearing each other with the masks on right now? Uh, it is a little bit. I, I, I try to avoid the tables that have the plexiglass on them. So if it, I can't, I feel like, you know, getting a little older, my hearing is going a little bit. I, I have a very hard time hearing in the casino when I'm sitting behind the plexiglass. Yeah. If the plexiglass is not there, I, it's much, much better for me. I feel like I can engage in that conversation much better. But yeah, yeah that's a more comfortable table to sit at. But even within the same casino, some places might have plexiglass. Some places might not have it. So just yeah. varies on that. So there, there's a... Uh, short paragraph that I just want to read, but I want, I want to hit some of these points you've mentioned it. You said, outside the casino, I learned a lot about chip inventories, accurate record keeping, adequate amounts of cash, monitoring expenses, and even disruptive eating and sleeping or sleep schedules. Seriously, how does any counter have any resemblance of normalcy in regards to their health? I thought those are a, a lot of things you put in there that maybe we could just hit. What Any advice you can give on chip inventories or, or maybe just share what you learned about that? Well, yeah, I think one of the things I've learned is uh, you just you hear it from experienced counters about the problem sometimes doesn't happen at the table. It happens at the cage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you go right from the table to the cage that you might have an issue. So, you know, experiencing that and all right, I got to, you know, go back to the hotel and like, Geez, I don't want to drive another hour back to that place to cash out chips, but mm -hmm. that's probably a better option than you know going immediately afterwards, and then you you might you might have a problem with that. But and even like right now, you know, we ended that weekend, and um, one guy had a flight to catch, and you know I needed to head out, so like I still have <laughs> chips that need to be cashed and need to to get money settled out on that, but. That was one of those things where, yeah, it makes sense. Oh, yeah, people have chips. But then you have this idea like, oh, I can't go to the cage right away. Wait a minute. Now I got to figure out a time. When am I going to get back there? And and then that does eat into your amount of cash that you need. You know, yeah. if, you, mm -hmm. if you think you have enough cash, well, if a couple thousand of that's tied up in chips, then, well, you don't have as much cash. You don't want to run out. So, yeah, it was yeah, that inventory. That first time I experienced that, so that was that was different. Well, it sounds like you guys need to plan your second trip to that that region. Y'all already got some chips to get started at the tables with. Well, the beauty of that weekend was uh, I took a couple of days off from work, but 
we ended up having some weather where I was at. So I got to work remotely. I did not have to take the days off. So I got to use them before the end of the year. So I got to place. Oh, yeah. Now. Yeah. It's great. That's right. <laughs> so you said accurate record keeping. Any what did you learn? Learn there? Yeah. You know, we, we you know, you play different places and and just our setup that we had of how we were, you know, splitting up the money and um, you know, just how important that is. Like you need to know how, how long you played, um, making sure that you have accurate numbers, like, okay, this is how much I bought in at this place. This is how much I cashed out at this place, or this is what my chips are from that place. And for me, like I'm, I'm doing, there's, uh, I'll do a little bit beyond just blackjack and just, trying to keep all that you only have two pockets in your pants right front the two front pockets like if you just try to do it that way then everything mixes together so yeah just being able to have a system of writing that down and and we were good at the end of the night we would uh, or in the morning just okay we get things caught up but yeah especially when you're sharing you, you kind of notice that you want it to be on and to be accurate and um and just remembering conditions you know if you have one place is cutting off different than another place that that impacts what that hourly rate is and trying to remember all those details when you start playing with different dealers at different places and so really having a better system and that's one thing i i thought i had a pretty good system i feel like i could clean that up a little bit to make it more yeah yeah i mean the bathroom is your friend like a bathroom stall to take take some notes on your phone or, uh, you know, right when you get in the car before you head out, that could be a good time to just jot stuff down while it's still fresh in your memory. Uh, because when, if you wait till later that night or the next morning, it, it can be pretty tough to remember how everything went. You also said, uh, monitoring expenses. Um, what you talking about, you're talking about, um, just meals and things like that or. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, pretty cheap just the way that I live my life otherwise. So mm-hmm. for me, I brought a lot of, a lot of food with me for the weekend. So I didn't have a lot for expenses there and I was able to drive. I didn't have to fly, but you know, you just have your hotel costs. But if you start thinking about, okay, you have your hotel cost, you have your food cost, you know, you get into this whole tipping conversation about whether you tip or not, but you, you start adding all those things together and, yeah. you know, you need to be mindful of like, well, if your goal is to make a little bit of money, like it, mm-hmm. it, can, it can go in a hurry if you're not watching those other things. So, yeah, just really paying attention to that. Absolutely. That's that's the case with any business. But but especially when, you know, yeah, if your hourly EV isn't enough to kind of make up for those expenses in the first couple hours of play then yeah, anything you can do to keep those expenses down. You said disruptive eating and sleep schedules. Well, if you brought your own food, hopefully it was a little healthier than, you know, the fried food at the deli. Correct. Um, yeah, it was. Although I'm, you know, I, I do tend to go to bed fairly early. So staying up till 2, 2.30 for three or four nights in a row, that was a little bit different for me. And then if, you know, anyone who's a parent and has kids, especially young kids, you realize like you don't really sleep in anymore. So yeah, you stay up till two or two thirty. Your biological clock just wakes you up at six a.m. again, and so you do that for a few days in a row. And I noticed when I got back and was back to work and home again, like it took me a few days to 
to feel like I was back to, you know, my normal energy and normal feeling of how I normally feel. So. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I think you either, you know, have to adapt so that advanced play schedule is kind of the norm or, or it's gotta be, you know, you just go for it on a trip and, and you gotta give yourself some time to get back to normal when you get back. Um, that's, I, I think smartphones have made, made it worse because, you know, th- this is just talking you and I were in, I just turned 40, you're in your forties, you know, we're a little bit older than some of the guys that, you know, they'll get back from a late night of adrenaline infused advanced play and then like scroll through social media or things like that for an hour or two, you know, and, and then it's even less sleep, but you know, finding, finding ways to maximize sleep and, you know, food hydration, those things. I remember reading, uh, in, uh, burning the tables in Las Vegas and he's spending all this time talking about sleep and melatonin. And, and I was like, what is he talking about? But I was 22 years old. I wasn't thinking about that. And now I'm like, Oh, this is how he made a profession out of it for decades is he had to figure this stuff out. Right. Yeah. My situation, it's, it's not a full-time thing and it's, it's, you know, it'll be weekend trips or shorter trips and uh, I'm not doing it for, weeks or a couple months on end but yeah so i kind of know what that'll look like it'll just i'll be tired after the weekend and then i'll need a couple days to get caught up but yeah it certainly has to be a challenge for people that are doing that full time and living out of the car and trying to trying to be healthy and be mindful of what they eat and but it's yeah experiencing that like all these other things is you read about it and then you actually do it it, it just feels a little different Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's, that's really what I appreciate about about the forum post is, um, I mean, here's one other quote you said, I feel, or all this once again reinforces the idea that the mechanics of card counting is foundational, but is only a small part of becoming an effective card counter. That there's, that you can't be an effective card counter without the mechanics, but to truly um, be successful at this, you have to learn all these other parts um, and and it was fun to kind of live vicariously through that journey of, okay, I got the foundational parts down, but this is what's really like taking that next step and, you know, putting into practice all these other parts, the, the, uh, cover or, or your, you know, how you behave in a casino, how you handle the money, how you handle the emotions of the wins and the loss, all, all those things. There, there's a lot more to it than just plus one, minus one. Right. Yeah. And I think for me and this, it, it was it was helpful for me just to put those thoughts down on paper. And I, it's great having the, the forum, the BJ community, that it's a place that it can go and people kind of understand, Oh, yep. You know, been there or been there, done that. Um, but for me, the, I, I have to come to terms with the back offs, like any feeling that I have of that is just, that is just how it is. And mm-hmm. to survive, a person's going to have to, deal with that and know that that's just a reality of it. And, and even the, and the swings, that was the other thing where that was hard for me to keep pulling the money out of the pocket, but just trusting that there's going to be times where the blacks will pile up and hopefully someday the purples will pile up and, and it'll, you'll get that back and more. And over the long term, that's, what's going to, you know, make it work for people. So 
yeah, for me, just thinking about all those things and, and, you know, everybody's probably going to have their own things that they're going to need to reflect on for their own personality and their own game. But yeah, that emotional side for me, those, those swings and just the back offs is just, you got to find a way to, to manage that. Absolutely. So you mentioned a few resources that were helpful and I just thought I'd ask you, you know, I'll just name it and you could say what, you know, what comes to mind or what was helpful, but you, you mentioned Spartan had a post they called the flinch. What, what comes to mind when you think of that? Yeah, it's just that you, you know what you have to do when you're, when the count calls for it or w- when that time comes where your body or your mind, you says you don't want to, but you know, you have to. And I just remember reading that just, it's that little part of you that you, you're not going to do it. And you, you just gotta, you gotta do it. You gotta kind of power your way through that. And having experienced the weekend, I, that, that post just became much more relevant where you kind of feel mm. some of what he was talking about. So, yeah. yeah, it does get easier, you know, it becomes more, uh, habitual. I don't know how like NFL players, uh, take these hits from, from, you know, uh, from another player. But I suppose when you've done it thousands of times, it becomes more, more natural. I think it's, it's similar with, uh, the flinch. Yeah. And I, uh, as a, as a teacher, one thing I do is I do call on students with just randomly. So Mm -hmm. they, they kind of never know when it's, when they might have to be a part of that conversation, which it just helps keep students more engaged in what we're doing. Well, I've thought about that in a negative sort of way, you know, that the idea of sitting there and knowing that you could get a tap at any moment, um, Mm -hmm. there can be some anxiety with that, but just, you know, figuring out like, how do you just power your way through that and just adjust to that reality where it just becomes part of doing business rather than, um, you know, some maybe negative anxiety. So the second thing you mentioned was Sassy Red podcasts. What comes to mind? What was helpful about those? Yeah, um, just, you know, she, with her background in counseling and and some of that, the emotion side, I just remember her um, talking about, you know, losing a place that she really, really liked playing at. And I think she said that, you know, that was a, she even cried when she lost that place or just Mm. the feeling that she has when maybe a back off is not a polite back off, but it's, it gets a little bit, um, you know, people are, are not treating other people well. And, and that just for her, just her honesty in that, that does not feel well for everybody. You know, some Mm -hmm. people, it just, it's, it's not an issue at all. They don't even think about it, but for other people, that's a real thing. And I think that's when I have heard her talk about that is just some of her honesty with, for her, that, that, that was a real thing. And so she's had to you know, figure out how to be successful, even with some of these things that can happen. So I, I really appreciated what she's had to say about that. And then finally, you said uh, Richard Munchkin mentioning 200 hour losing streaks. I mean, I know you talked a little bit about it, but what comes to mind with that? Right. Well, I think of this weekend that we went on and, you know, we're spreading our, our spread was up to two by 90. So we did that. On, we kept it under 100 just to hopefully avoid a little bit of attention, but it, so it's not a huge spread and we get that. Um, but we go, we play roughly 30 hours and we made about 10 bucks for the weekend. And you mm-hmm. think of okay, 30 hours, 
really glad we didn't lose for the weekend. You know, we would have loved to walk home with the EV that we generated or more, obviously, but you think, okay, 30 hours, two people break even. Now imagine doing that by yourself or, yeah. uh, or that extends out for 200 and some people, 300 or even 400 people are burning mm-hmm. down the house. He cited that in his uh, forum posts, you know, those are some brutal losing streaks. And like the idea of dealing with that is for me with, is not an easy thing or something you look forward to, but with enough hours, you just know, like, that's, that's kind of part of the game. So yeah, it's just, it's good to have all the resources out there and have people that share some of these realities. Um, because intellectually knowing them helps, uh, you know, adjusting to what that might feel like when people go through it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, studies have shown that simply having someone empathize with you uh, is, you know, kind of like the most healing thing you can have. And that sounds really kind of uh, frou-frou therapy. But my point is, if you have, like you said, if you have people, someone that you can even just share, like, oh, man, this is brutal. I'm 200 hours in, 300 hours in, 400 hours in, and I'm still not. To have people that be like, oh, man, that sucks. Um, maybe they could say I've been there or maybe they could say I've never been there, but I can only imagine that even just having someone that hears you and is like, can, can, uh, feel your pain a bit is, is often what you need to keep powering through. And so I'd encourage anybody out there that, that is an advantage player or pursuing it to, you know, don't do it alone. Um, I'm actually reading a book that Spartan recommended to me called tribe. And it's, it's really about how. We're not designed to go through life in an individualistic way. There's higher depression and suicide and all sorts of things in our more individualistic culture that values autonomy and money more than it values community and things like that. And it's like, I just keep thinking like, oh yeah, this is like why we as advantage players need, you know, we need support, we need community. Um, And it's not just that we need it, it's also just more enjoyable to go through it with, with those other people. Right. Well, and that's part of my motivation of you know, trying to find people that maybe I could share this experience with. And whether it's a shared bankroll, you know, there's obviously some financial benefits to that. But just having people that, you know, you can kind of go through those ups and downs together and you can you relate to, you share some of that that with it. Just it's going to make that easier for sure than trying to deal with it on your own. Now, there's been plenty of people that have done it on their own. But mm-hmm. uh, I know for me, I. I do value those things. And and even just some of the connections over the forum have been helpful too. So um, there, there are definitely some, some power in that and some positives that come from that. Yeah. Yeah. For those, you know, solo uh, warriors out there, like burning down the house, you mentioned him, you know uh, yeah. Just, just even if it's not someone they're on a bank joint bankroll with, but just having people that they can stay connected with, I, I really think is a difference maker for, uh, both their longevity doing this, but also even just their uh, mental, emotional state. Um, because yeah, it's fine when you're winning, but but you're only at your all-time high less than two percent of the time. So that other ninety-eight percent of the time, you know, just having people that that uh, can keep you connected and grounded and and uh, not isolated, I think, uh, is is so important. Um, you know, 
so I had my wife read your forum post before before this, and I wanted her to look over my questions, and she got all she got teared up, um, and she was like, "Man, you need to just thank him for for writing the post, for sharing the story." Um, and I do. I, I want to thank you for being willing to share your story about your first trip and and uh, you know some of those highs and lows. Being willing to come here on the podcast and share it, and and also you know bringing that value to the community uh, is really cool. And I know people will learn from this. And um, you know to kind of bring other people into your story rather than just keeping it keeping it to yourself. So thanks for for sharing that. Well, you're welcome. And I, yeah, it's a, uh, it's fun to talk about and I, you know, learned a lot from other people and, you know, hope people can pull something from this. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, we, we tend to do a little bit better when we, we kind of work together on, on things. So appreciate what you've done with, with BGA and what that, how that's helped people too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely my pleasure. Well, if, if you uh, are listening to this and you haven't read the post, it's, it's on the forum. What's, what's the title of the post? Beyond a winning game. Beyond a winning game. Yeah. Yes. It was a captivating, uh, title. Um, but, uh, but it's worth reading. You know, if you've been at it for a while, think back to your first trip. I I remember my first trip, it was with Ben and Jeff, our first little team. And we'd been on a joint bankroll, but we went on a trip together. We drove, you know, three hours somewhere, played all day, like 12 hours, you know, with a little lunch break in there and drove home to be back the same night. And we were, uh, even, for, and I thought, 36 hours, we're even. This is so dumb. We could have stayed home today because I didn't understand, you know, nope, it's just about generating EV. But fortunately, on the drive home, uh, Ben was able to talk me down and say, hey, you know, we can't control that. We generate EV. And and so that made it made it a good trip. But anyway, if, you, if you've yeah, been playing I for think, a while. Yeah, the only yeah. thing I, I think of as you're talking about that is, you know, the losing is no fun. But, yeah, man, the, the winning doesn't ever get old either. No, it's, it's it great when it stacks up, even when it's small, small wins doing other things. But yeah, the winning is always fun. Yes, yes. And I, I can remember those trips, too. So if you've been at a while, remember those, you know, maybe your first trip. If you haven't yet gone on your first card counting trip, then you can definitely learn from this story. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Small Town Guy. If you have any follow-up questions for Small Town Guy or myself, you can ask us through the BJA forum. And if you don't have a membership, what are you waiting for? Learn, train, network, use our software and tools as an advantage player to beat the casinos. And one last thing, if there's a topic you want me to cover in a podcast, shoot me an email, Colin at blackjackapprenticeship.com or send me a private message through the forum. Until next time, keep generating EV.